Um. How many CDs have you added to your own collection because you first heard them on community radio? Whether it has been one or 100, your musical horizons have been broadened by listening to WERU. From African to country, jazz to folk, or punk to polka, the diversity of music presented by volunteer programmers is rich and ever-changing. You get entertainment, inspiration, and information, all for the cost of a few CDs or whatever you can contribute. We have no minimum membership level. We just hope that you will invest the amount that's right for you. Let us know how much the music means to you on WERU. Call now at 1-800-643-6273 and make that all-important pledge. Thank you. And the time is 10 o'clock. Stay tuned for Wabanaki Windows. Hello and good morning, and welcome to Wabanaki Windows. My name is Maria Gerard, and I am filling in for host Donna Loring, who is off enjoying the North Main Woods today. Wabanaki Windows is a monthly show featuring Wabanaki perspectives, topics, and opinions, as well as interviews with Native artists, writers, and people of interest. Today's topic is uh, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, the Penobscot River watershed. And as a Penobscot woman, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that the Penobscot River watershed is central to the identity of Penobscot people. It served as the Penobscot's ancestral homeland since time immemorial and provided all that was needed for survival. The Penobscot Nation is pleased to be able to uh, reciprocate the river's care by collaborating with conservation-focused agencies to increase the understanding and appreciation of the Penobscot River watershed. Uh, we have a particular collaborative uh, in the works called the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center, and for today's show, I've invited guests from the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center Collaborative to join us. Our guests in the studio are Veronica Young, Associate Director of Penobscot East Resource Center in Stonington. Welcome, Veronica. Thank you. Uh, Bill Booth is with us. Uh, Bill Booth is a local citizen and an avid outdoorsman. He has a long-time love and interest for the Maine woods. Thanks for joining us, Bill. Thank you, Maria. And I believe on the phone we should have uh, James Francis, Tribal Historian for the Cultural and Historic Preservation Department. Um, Penobscot Nation. Hi, James. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good to have you. Good Thank morning. You. Good morning. Thanks for joining. Um, so welcome, and uh, let's jump right in. We have um, an hour to talk about this uh, collaborative, and lots to, lots to talk about. The mission uh, of the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center is to increase understanding and appreciation for the character, history, and future of the Penobscot River watershed. And this mission was something that was developed after many months of meetings. Uh, there were several groups at the table, all with educational outreach on the brain. And uh, we wanted to share some prime space in Bar Harbor, but first we had to 
come together and identify our common ground. Uh, Veronica, at a meeting in March, I believe you sort of got us coalesced around the topic of water. Is that correct? Yes. <clears throat> it, it, it's almost almost feels like stating the obvious. Um, Maine has an extraordinary number of great rivers and great watersheds. Among them, the Penobscot being, I would argue, perhaps, if not the largest, one of the more important. And it really is all about water moving and moving not just on the land but into the ocean as well. Um, my view of this is that it's we have one great ecosystem that we're talking about, that the watershed doesn't exist in isolation. Mm. And that the water is, in fact, the thread. And, of course, as the, the one of the prime forces that... Um, life depends on wherever on the planet is very important. It's also, uh, in a global sense, a very endangered resource. Mm. Um, our human consumption patterns are using up water faster than we are, shall I say, replacing or mm. finding new sources of it. Mm -hmm. So it, to me, it's, it's central. So the group identified that water was the common ground. And uh, next, we had to come together and um, find out what was the story that we wanted to tell about the Penobscot uh, watershed. And Bill, the name of the exhibit that will be on display at this uh, eco center in Bar Harbor was your suggestion, uh, The Living Web. Um, I have a nice quote here that I found that talks a little bit about the web concept. And it's from um, Basic Call to Consciousness, which was written by the Haudenosaunee delegates who addressed the United Nations in 1944. I just want to read this quote uh, real quick, if I could. It says, quote, Wake up. Our lives are part of a sacred web in which everything is connected. When we poison the air or the soil with our lifestyles and technologies, even just a little bit, we are poisoning ourselves. Bill, do you want to talk about how you came up with uh, the idea of the living web for the exhibit? Yes, well, I think, I think it was Charles that came up. Uh, uh, it was, I think, uh, James that came up with the idea of the web and the taking the, water, taking the whole watershed as the living web was a somebody else's idea too, I don't know where it came from, but the idea of the whole watershed being involved in the same system of life and living things and every living thing within the area that drains into the Penobscot River is all a part of a living entity and people are part of that too. And as I think it was, I think it was uh, Chief Seattle that had a famous saying to the extent, to the effect that uh, the, we're all a part of the web, and so what we do to the web, we do to ourselves. And I think that is an extremely important concept for people to get into their heads in these days, and I don't think in general we may hear some expression of that from time to time, but to have the commitment to stay with it is a particular gift that I think 
the Penobscot Nation brings to this, the commitment over years and years, they're still making good on what they lost years ago. And it's uh, the place that's going to have the follow-through to carry this up. And so the web of life is really the concept of the whole watershed people and everybody else and what we do to each other that decides whether we're all going to live or all going to die. I couldn't agree more. Yes. Uh, James, good morning. Good morning. Bill mentioned the Penobscot Nation, and I'm wondering, um, could you tell us what it is that the Penobscots have to offer this collaborative? Well, I think that any time you look at the Penobscot River or the watershed, um, the Penobscot Nation should be at the table. You know, this river has been our homeland, as you said, for time immemorial, and um, to have us at the table and be a voice within that forum is essential to understanding um, the river, um, not only today, um, but how our ancestors saw the river. Right. Um, and, of course, the, the connection with the river goes back um, as long as the Penobscots have been here. And as a matter of fact, they're... Um, their story of how the Penobscot River was created uh, is in Penobscot legend. And that's going to be uh, highlighted at the um, Living Web exhibit as well, the story of the frog monster. Did you want to give us the story in, the, in a nutshell, James? Sure. And in, um, in just a quick nutshell, there was a um, Penobscots were living by a stream, and the stream became dry, and um, they started to get sick from not having water, so they sent one of their own um, up the river to find out what was stopping the flow, and he came upon a large frog monster who was drinking up all the water, and um, there was nothing he could do himself, so Glooskop, our cultural hero, was summoned to uh, free the water, and um, he actually took the largest thing he could see, which was a, a large tree, and he smashed it on the back of this frog, and as the water splashed, it created all the lakes and ponds in Maine, and the tree itself came down with such force, it created what we know today as the Penobscot River, and the branches became the tributaries. Thank you. I'm certainly glad to see that that particular legend is um, it's very timely. Uh, in a time when we're um, struggling for clean water resources. And we have to remember, as both the guests have um, mentioned, how we're all connected and that we all have the need for that uh, clean water resources. Um, Bill, you don't represent an organization. You re represent yourself in this right. collaborative and um, you also represent a great love for the outdoors, and more specifically, the waterways. Um, yes. Tell us why this collaborative is so <coughs> important to you as an individual. Well, this uh, represents such a fulfillment to me. You can probably tell by my voice that I'm not a young man in any physical sense, <laughs> but uh, I'll lay my own claim to 
how old I am spiritually. Well, all my life, I was born and brought up in Maine, and all my life I have had a wonderful fascination for the North Woods and the waters of Maine. And uh, now comes a time when we get this wonderful collaborative together for the purpose of looking closely at the web of life, which is the Penobscot, in this case, the Penobscot watershed. And with that in mind, we uh, can extrapolate the thing to the whole responsibility that people have for the particular web of life, you could say even the particular watershed in which they live, and that it is kept healthy. And uh, I think the frog monster story is a great thing because I've been told several times that the whole point of it is that everybody should have equal access to what they need from the river, the water, uh, meaning uh, all living things and all plants and uh, even the life of the river itself. And so I I think uh, putting all that together it's a wonderful stimulation and fascination for me to see some attention being paid here and especially the educational outreach because it is an educational effort with the, with the uh, exhibit, A Web of Life. Thank you. Uh, James, I know that um, you can only be with us for a short time. I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about the place names uh, along the Penobscot River. I've no, I know you've done extensive research in Penobscot place names along the river, and those are going to be highlighted uh, on a huge uh, wall-sized map of the Penobscot watershed. Do you want to say anything about the, the place names um, in, your, in your study of those uh, sure, yeah. My, my study of place names has probably been 15 to 20 years in, in the making. And when I, when I first started studying place names, it, it came from this realization um, when I was in college that um, after hearing about the Trail of Tears and how Cherokees were removed in a Native American studies class, um, that I realized that my people, the Penobscots, are still in our ancestral homeland. And that changed the way that I studied history and the way I looked at the landscape in which I lived in. And I started to look at old accounts of uh, early explorers and, um, you know, the the original uh, tourist, Henry David Thoreau, and his accounts of this landscape. And I found that a lot of the guides were um, Penobscots or other Wabanaki people, and they provided um, information in the form of place names that um, Native Americans called um, certain places by certain names. Today, if you look at a Delorme map, you can find close to 240 of these names still exist on the map that we use today, places like Mattawamkeag and Pasadumkeag, uh, Copasaconte, um, even Penobscot and um, Kennebec are Native American words. But as I started to look at these words, I realized that when I started to deconstruct what they meant, it actually gave me a window into the past of how 
our ancestors, Wabanaki people, saw the landscape at a <clears throat> really unpinpointed um, time in the past. And what we find is that you get information. A lot of things are travel markers because we're very mobile. It was important to understand where you were and which streams were important to take to get you to other places. Um, but also there was resource-based place names, uh, places that um, had, whether it was a, a certain plant or tree there, or um, an animal could be harvested there. Uh, excellent example is Passagasawakeg, the river in Belfast, which is on the um, just off the Penobscot Bay, and it um, <clears throat> means where we speared sturgeon by torchlight. So that resource was a very important component. Um, we also have some legends, some ancient stories that highlight both these travel markers and uh, this resource-based idea on the landscape through these place names. And so we highlighted um, just a handful of them in the, um, the map of the Penobscot River um, so that people can get a sense of not only what we as modern Penobscot people see, but also how our ancestors saw and used this river as a way to, um, you know, meet basic subsistence and to live a full and rich life on, in this watershed. Mm. Um, through your research, I've become a little bit uh, interested in place names myself and have uh, read a lot of uh, Fanny uh, Ekstorm Hardy's work. Fanny Hardy Ekstorm, sorry, I always say her name backwards. Um, and one thing that I note is that the perspective of the, the landscape always comes from the perspective of traveling the river. So yes. I thought and that it, was very interesting. And it's usually an upriver perspective. Yes. Which so. I found amazing. You know, at times I would struggle with understanding why a certain place was called um, a certain name until I physically went mm -hmm. to that place. On the river, right? Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And went to that place and it's, um, it's like a sore thumb. You know, you, you mentioned Fanny, and if I, I could just take a moment to share a quote sure. that she finishes um, the introduction of her book, which is called um, Indian Place Names of Penobscot Valley in the Main Coast. She says, The day is past when our Indian names were the butt of foolish laughter to be distorted, mutilated, displaced by trivial, trivial appellations. All Indian place names had a local pertinency. In recovering the meanings in the correct form of the names, we enlarge our horizons and make home a more romantic place to live in. These old names are the colored curtains which hang beside the windows through which we look back into the beginnings of humans living here. For ages upon ages, countless human beings have lived and toiled and suffered here and have left only these names. Well, she has, we haven't only left these names, but um, we are still here as a thriving people. Absolutely. But, That's a great quote. Mm. And um, along those lines of expanding our horizons, let's uh, focus back into um, the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center project again. Um, but first, you are listening to WERU. It's 20 minutes past the hour. And we are talking about the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center, which is a collaboration 
among the Penobscot Indian Nation, local citizens, fisheries, agencies, and nonprofit conservation organizations. Um, Veronica Young is the Associate Director of Penobscot East Resource Center in Stonington. And Veronica, tell us a little bit about Penobscot East Resource Center and why this collaborative is important to you. Our, our mission is to secure a future for the fishing communities of Eastern Maine. Um, that's a very, very big mission. And it encompasses um, a huge chunk, about 45% of the Maine coastline, where we work in the fishing communities that s extend from the Penobscot Bay Islands up to the Canadian border. Uh, we are indeed a preservation and conservation-oriented group. Um, and that means not just um, looking after the I will say the lobster, the fish, and all the other marine species that our economy depends on, but also uh, trying to bring back what we've lost. Uh, there was a time when ground fish were a hugely important part of the economy um, in, in the eastern Gulf of Maine. Um, we had a very diversified fishery, in other words. Over the last 15 to 20 years, we have lost those ground fish, and they have not recovered in our area up here the way they have further south. Mm. Um, there are probably a lot of reasons for this which are not well understood and a lot of our work now is oriented towards trying to understand what's happened to the fish stock. Now, this all in fact ties in um, to what's going on um, with the anadromous fish in the river system, particularly the Penobscot. Anadromous fish are the fish that live in the ocean but breed in fresh water. Mm -hmm. And they are a key part of the forage base for the inshore ground fish. Uh, our uh, co-founder and principal science researcher, um, Ted Ames, uh, whose work on the historic fishery won him a MacArthur, what we call the MacArthur Genius Award. It's actually a MacArthur Fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, he has written extensively on the relationship between the, in particular, the alewife um, of the Penobscot and the groundfish along the coast. And feels very strongly, along with a lot of other scientists, that once the dams are removed from the Penobscot, the fish, the uh, alewife can travel and again become the forage base for the, the inshore fishery. So it's, I, I think of it as we, we come into play in a, in a way our work where the river meets the sea. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, it's all a very interconnected system. Absolutely. And that's what I was thinking as you were talking was how that very much highlights that interconnectedness that we're all talking about. And I'm glad to hear you uh, talk about uh, securing a future for the fishing communities um, and talking about preservation and conservation, because I think oftentimes when people hear preservation or conservation, um, they assume that we're forgetting about the mm. human species as well. But yes. we're talking about water for every everyone here. Yes, um, the it's 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 incredibly important. Um, right now, um, our coastal economy is something like ninety five percent dependent on lobster. Um, a single wow. species, in other words. That's mm. a very precarious position to be in. Mm. And um, we're vul very vulnerable to uh, environmental changes and, of course, to market market forces. Lobsters right now are, are, are in great shape, um, very abundant. 
um, large, healthy fishermen are very happy about this. Um, but we cannot assume that always, that remains the case. So diversity, um, biodiversity in general across the planet is critical. And our piece of it is to try and increase the diversity that we have here um, for good for good reason, because um, we do have a future to consider. Uh, this is an economy that's very reliant on fish as opposed to other things these days. Mm -hmm. uh, when you talk about lobster, I think about, um, I learned at one point in, in history, uh, a course where they used to feed lobster to the prisoners in the state, yes. and that the prisoners revolted because they were so sick of eating a lobster. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was indeed the food of the, shall we say, the common man. And, and and somewhere along the way, it became elevated to something that was luxurious and special and treasured, um, mm. which is, you know, one way to market it, too. There are other ways, I'm sure. Interesting. Um, you're listening to the WERU. If you'd like to uh, call in, if you have any questions regarding the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center or any comments um, or questions in general about the Penobscot River, the phone number that you can call into is 1-866-625-9378. And again, that's 1-866-625-9378. Um, we're going to be joined a little bit later uh, by Jim St. Pierre on the phone, who is um, with Restore the North Woods. And I want to just take a moment to mention the other folks who have uh, come together to work in partnership and collaboration on this um, project. The Penobscot Nation, Cultural and Historic Preservation Department specifically, and the Department of Natural Resources, and John Banks, uh, are part of this uh, collaborative. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, and Peter Steenstra, Penobscot East Resource Center, uh, Penobscot River Restoration Trust, uh, Restore the North Main Woods, and we have uh, three local citizens who are also very well, much invested um, in the project. Bill Booth, who's with us here today, Dave Westfall, and Michael Good. So the physical location of the, this um, Penobscot Watershed Eco Center will be at 160 Main Street in Bar Harbor. Um, it looks like we have a call on the line. Go well, ahead. Good morning, gentle people. Good morning. Uh, I have a few comments. I'm one of those people buried deep in the background that has been a friend to the Wabanaki Nation and Penobscot for almost all my life. My husband was responsible for creating um, a remote sensing poster for Penobscot 2000 that showed the whole rivershed and Casco Bay, and I was responsible for organizing, more or less invisibly, against the dam that they wanted to put in the town of Orono. Mm -hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> made many suggestions at that time about remote sensing and geographic information systems and whole watersheds. And um, I also have worked on the archaeology, the salvage archaeology that was funded uh, should there have been a dam and learned a great deal more about why I was doing that since I worked on it before becoming involved with the dam issue. 
and I'd see the eagle fly down every morning and come back every night, and I uh, was um, privileged to be able to work with um, Penobscot in my pit and see history down through several millennia. And I have a deep connection to um, the creation myths uh, in terms of um, Guscabe. And I think that the creation myth goes all the way back to when the glacier melted and perhaps they even saw the, the frog monster as a, um, a frog shape mm-hmm. <laughs> that held back the waters. Um, Interesting. Yes, I I have really deep knowledge, but um, I wanted to say that I would like to encourage the thoughts uh, that have and the efforts that have come piecemeal over the last twenty five or thirty years about the Penobscot to try and coalesce together even more for the future. I think it's incredibly important with what we call climate interruption for our Penobscots to be able to organize and be prepared for the potential of great flood. And I also think that another happier scenario would be to have all of the different entities come together and create a whole systems assessment of all of the biota and uh, that, that are in and around the Penobscot watershed. When they drew down the Stillwater River in order to see what that would be like should they take out that dam during the process of trying to create the Basin Mills Dam, a friend of mine and I took our children down to this, the bottom of the riverbed to see it mm-hmm. and to pick up the trash that was there. And I noticed that all along the banks as we walked were waves and waves and waves of salamanders startled by our movement as we walked by. And I thought to myself, ah, the scientists say that these these entities are um, <clears throat> at threat and in decline on the planet, but when they take their sabbaticals, they go to pristine areas to look for them. They don't realize that they actually live right here with us mm. in places that are already um, sublimated and, and paved over and wallpapered with the layers that civilization, as we call it, have brought. So there's two things in my comments that I'd like to just try and put out there. One is I want to see some real action taken on a watershed basis to protect the people who live in and around the Penobscot River and all the life force that is there should we have um, a catastrophic climatic event here. And second, long-term, I think that we need to support the holistic idea of bringing in all of the resources we can to assess and document and plan to enhance all of the life and biota that we have right now in one big effort. Call it scientific, I don't care, whatever you want to call it, but just to try to make a larger overstructure plan for this watershed. It is the oldest, largest river in the state of Maine, and it deserves that kind of attention. Um, I feel that the future uh, is not necessarily so bleak. 
with those of us looking at how to heal. And healing requires a lot of work made doubly hard by those who work against it. However, um, I feel that the Penobscots themselves are moving into a new era. The Penobscots that I have met, and I have met many, and I've been in the West and met many of the people there, um, have a sense of being here in real time in their lives now. The younger ones, uh, just like the younger ones in any other culture or generation, cannot truly know the knowledge and what the time has been like for their their fathers and mothers or their ancestors and the quality of what they have lived through. They have a better sense of what they have now. So if they were to understand now what the work could be before them in the way that they are able to facilitate themselves in it, I think that would be really positive. And I know that the Penobscots have a lot of effort in terms of looking at water quality, air quality, uh, assessing the life around the river, potentially creating um, ways to introduce people uh, to to this watershed, and they should have the first and foremost right to do that to lead expeditions um, that raise money for protection of the watershed and their homeland and and an ecological basis that has great potential. Um, Lots and lots of money and careers are made around studying things and holding workshops and uh, so on and so forth. Um, But this would be right living. And I just have to say that um, I hold in my heart great hope for these people, they do still live here. And many, many of the people all over the world have been displaced from their original areas of living. And we are disconnected from our original foods and from our original knowledge of place and planet. We all suffer from that. But what, but we do need to look around and see where we live and what we're living in and have a realistic sense of how to help it carry through uh, the destruction and um, the healing. That's all I have to say. Well, thank you so much for that beautiful perspective. And thank you for your work and your husband's work um, around the watershed. And uh, your story about the salamanders is going to stick with me. Um, As soon as you said that, all I could think about was invisible in plain sight. Um, Any other comments, Veronica or Bill? I don't think James is still on the line. Are you still with us, James? Yes, I am. Oh, hello. Just uh, any other comments on uh, our caller? I I have just come across um, something I'd like to quote. Oh, please do. This is attributed to Chief Seattle. I think he was... Dwemish, am I saying that correctly, Dwemish tribe? Um, and this appeared in an article by Joyce White in uh, Mofka's June-August um, newsletter. We do not weave the web of life. We are merely a strand in it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. Mm-hmm. I, I think that seems very appropriate. Absolutely. Don't you agree, Bill? Yes, exactly. That's the <laughs> quotation I had in mind. <laughs> Thank you, Veronica. So um, what can folks expect to see at um, the Eco Center? 
lots of different things, I would say. I mean, the fact that so many different organizations, environmental groups have come together to, uh, to contribute and uh, talk about the importance of their individual and group efforts, I think it's going to provide a very uh, varied um, exhibit um, with different perspectives and different kinds of information. Okay, Bill? I, I agree. Yeah. And when we first sat down and kind of pondered this question, this is a very important question early on, you know, what would it, how, how can all these organization, organizations be linked together? I was um, brought back to a book which was sitting on my desk, um, and it was called First Feud. And it's actually, a, it was a, it's a small children's book, and it's uh, a feud between uh, the ocean and a mountain. And in particular... The um, Mount Katahdin, or Katahdin, and the ocean, and how they each thought they were better than the next, and but they couldn't see each other. And so I thought about that, and how our audience is going to be um, people and tourists visiting Bar Harbor, and I really wanted them to experience um, the river, which naturally leads you to Katahdin. And yeah. so what I, I felt in you know, the group you know, also is that we could use the river as a conduit to tell these stories, to um, pull together all those strands in the web and come together with a cohesive story, but also to bring those people away from Bar Harbor, even virtually, uh, into the Penobscot watershed you know, beyond just that coastal experience and share with them an experience that goes deeper into the heart of Maine. Excellent. Yes, I agree. Um, and as you mentioned, the river that naturally leads us to Katahdin, um, that might be a good segue. I believe that we have another guest on the line. No, we don't. Sorry. Um, James, we're going to let you go. And yeah. thanks for being with us. We are expecting to hear from another guest. And um, so we're going to free up the phone line to see if we can make that possible. Thanks Thank for you your time. Thank you all for your hard work, and uh, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you. Take care. So you're listening to WERU. Um, it is uh, 40 minutes past the hour. Uh, if you'd like to call in, if you have any comments or questions for us, we are talking about the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center, which is a collaboration among the Penobscot Indian Nation, local citizens, fisheries agencies, and nonprofit conservation organizations. If you'd like to call and you have a comment or a question, the phone number is 1-866-625-9378. Go ahead, caller. Hello. Hello, this is Jim St. Pierre. Hey, Jim. How are you? Good. Good morning. <laughs> You're our guest at large out there. I was hoping to hear from you. How are you doing? Uh, well, it's a beautiful day. I wish it was on uh, Mount Desert Island right now. <laughs> Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Um, Jim, we were just talking about the um, collaboration, and um, we uh, have listed our partners, and, of course, Restore the North Main Woods. Um, as a partner in this collaboration. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Restore the North Main Woods and why this collaborative is important to you? We just had a great segue. James Francis talked about the river that naturally leads us to Katahdin in the North Main Woods. Sure. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about um, 
our organization, uh, Restore the North Woods, um, was started in 1992. So we've been around for a while, not as long as the Penobscot people, but we're working on it. Um, <laughs> You'll never catch us. No, right. <laughs> Um, we work on a variety of issues, mostly related to wildlands and wildlife. Um, I can give you a few examples. Um, uh, for, for instance, we've been involved in a number of endangered species issues. Mm -hmm. One that would be very relevant to this discussion is um, we submitted the original petition, which led to the listing of the Atlantic salmon as an endangered species, which has helped to bring significant funding for restoration of the salmon uh, to Maine. Mm -hmm. um, we also were, have been very involved in um, uh, in another endangered species, Canada lynx, mm -hmm. which is listed as a threatened species. Um, and the um, federal agencies have designated uh, critical habitat for the Canada lynx in parts of the um, watersheds in northern Maine. Um, we also work on a variety of public lands issues. Uh, I, I've spent much of the last 10 years, for example, working with other groups uh, through a coalition we call Citizens to Protect the Allagash on protection and, and defense of the wilderness character of the Allagash Wilderness Waterway, which, um, of course, abuts the Penobscot watershed and has a connection to the, uh, to the Penobscot watershed. Um, and we've um, spent a lot of the last few years uh, intervening in the proposal by Plum Creek Corporation to develop a large uh, real estate development in the, in the Moosehead region. Mm -hmm. That's the Kennebec watershed, but, um, uh, you know, they're it's all, connected. all related. <laughs> um, the issue that we're probably best known for is the proposed Maine Woods National Park and National Preserve, mm -hmm. which is, very briefly, is um, um, a proposal to study 3.2 million acres. Um, most of that is in the upper Penobscot watershed. Um, it also overlaps into several of the other adjoining watersheds. And um, we looked at the whole 26 million acre northern forest region from upstate New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, and realized many years ago that the, the, the biggest and, and most important opportunity for um, forest conservation that was probably, probably in, left in the entire lower 48 states is here in mm -hmm. northern Maine. And of course, over the last um, 15 or 20 years, we've seen a revolution in land ownership in northern Maine. Mm -hmm which has its ups and downs, but one of the consequences is that it has opened up um, tremendous opportunities for land conservation. Mm -hmm. And so we and a lot of other organizations um, have been working on conservation. Um, there have been some very good land projects, conservation projects done, but still it's rather piecemeal. And um, I still think that it's important to be looking at finishing the job of piecing together more of the um, headwaters of the Penobscot, the Allagash, the St. John, the Kennebec, mm -hmm. um, because that's the area that we've been focused on. 
Earlier, uh, we talked about the how we came together, the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center Collaborative. There were several groups at the table, and we were all thinking about educational outreach. We were all trying to identify a common ground, what the story was going to be, what the mission was going to be. It wasn't um, a particularly easy process. Um, what? What made you stick with it, and why is the collaborative important to you, Jim? Um, well, I work in a lot of different collaboratives and coalitions, um, in part because it's, it's just a good way to reach out and, and leverage um, the work that we try to do, and in part because I think it's really important uh, for people to come together individually. Each of us has a small voice. Together, we have a large voice. Um, our organization, Restore the North Woods, had a what we call the Maine Woods Visitor Center in Bar Harbor over the last 15 years or so, and we had exhibits there um, and information, and we were able, it's a, it's, a, it's a great location because, of course, uh, millions of people every year come to visit Acadia National Park, and those people, by definition, are interested in national parks, so we wanted to reach that audience with our idea for the possibility of creating an, uh, another national park in northern Maine, the Maine Woods National Park mm -hmm. proposal. Um, that, that Maine Woods Visitor Center sort of played itself out, and then last year, um, you mentioned Michael Good is one of the people in Bar Harbor. Mm -hmm. um, he invited us and others to a meeting to see about the idea of creating something that has evolved into the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center that would be focused on the Penobscot, but the Penobscot, of course, is emblematic for all of the watersheds in, in the Gulf of Maine. Right. And um, so I, I, I was very excited to have an opportunity to work with the Penobscot Nation, the Penobscot River Restoration Trust, the Penobscot East Resource Center, all, all of the partners that have come together um, to create this watershed ecocenter. It is a great group of partners, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and I also should mention that um, one of the partners I think we didn't mention is is Charles Fitzgerald, who's hosting the uh, the ecocenter. Um, I've worked with Charles now for 15 or 20 years. He's a tremendous conservationist. He um, has a store in downtown Bar Harbor where he sells wood products and he made available to us um, a part of the store for our Maine Woods Visitor Center and I think should be recognized as, as, a, as a partner, um, perhaps a silent partner in this yes. eco center. Yes, and thank you for mentioning Charles. This really wouldn't have been possible if um, it weren't for Charles and offering that space uh, for us to do this sort of work. So yes, thank you for mentioning Charles. And it's a very attractive uh, space to, to be in. It's um, very inviting above above his store on which Main Street. Yes, one sixty Main Street. One sixty Main Street. And it's been it's actually been <clears throat> both challenging and fun to have our meetings there, and all kind of get used to each other and working together and reconciling our different views. Mm -hmm. We are, after all, a bunch of individuals who haven't worked together before, mm -hmm. representing our various organizations and ourselves. And um, I have enjoyed that process of, of working it out. It's very much um, how community operates, how collectives come together. 
and um, I think it sort of actually shows some of our more key democratic principles at work <laughs> that we've uh, that we you know we've come together with a larger goal for the common good. Yes, and which I think often involves us making uh, compromises. Um, that have worked out quite well. So far, so good. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, Veronica, thank you. The, to me, that's one of the most exciting elements of this. When I got started with this, I remember several people were saying, oh, another one of these things, and it'll soon die. But to find the level of commitment that these different collaborators brought to the meeting, the way they would put things aside in order to take care of this one, and you could see after a little while this was really going someplace because of the separate commitment of so many people who are otherwise involved in in other parts of the web of life in uh, in the woods of Maine. Maria, can I say one more thing too Absolutely. about that? Um, this just reminds me that there's another person I think we ought to recognize, and that's Ron Beard. Oh, um, yes. From the Cooperative Extension Service. Yay, Ron. <laughs> Ron has, um, Ron's the best facilitator that I know. Um, we worked together about 100 years ago now in, in grad school, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I hadn't seen him for a long time, and then it was really fun to um, get together again. He's been, I think, instrumental in helping us work through this process, as, as other folks here have said. It's you know, we, we've never worked together before, and so it's a learning process. There have been some uh, bumps in the road, but um, it seems to me like it's really coming together now, and in part, um, Ron deserves uh, some significant credit for helping us uh, come together. I couldn't agree more. Ron is just like the facilitator extraordinaire. I'm amazed. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, and uh, you mentioned about the small voices together. We have one large voice. And um, there is a, a native saying um, about one stick that breaks easily, but a handful of sticks, you can't break it. Um, and so it, it pleases me to get this sense that people are moving more into a cooperative and a collaborative um, way of doing business versus uh, a competitive um, way of doing business. I think, you know, time is short and the work that needs to be done is, um, it's at hand and we need to uh, work uh, swiftly and we need to work uh, together uh, and in a good way. Um, and I always say that anyone who is working to improve the quality of life on this planet is definitely a member on my team. So we're getting close to uh, the end of the hour, and I'd just like to give an opportunity um, for folks to say any final thoughts or any final words about the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center or just the watershed in general. I had a couple of very practical thoughts about the center. Um, at this point, um, we are basically unfunded. Um, we have received um, a, a very small and very, very lovely um, private donation from an individual who wanted to support our efforts. Uh, <clears throat> but essentially, um, we're doing this on, our, on the, the dimes of our various organizations. And <clears throat> this means we're going to have a, a modest beginning until we get ourselves a little bit more established. And I'm wondering if we can start to talk about 
when the public might be able to come into the space when we think we might be ready, Maria? Well, there is a work day that is planned for tomorrow. And um, if all goes well, the public should be able to start coming through the space uh, after that work session tomorrow. Um, what you can expect from the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center is um, the exhibits that we talked about, uh, learning uh, more information about the uh, characteristics and history and in the future of the Penobscot Watershed. And um, you can also expect from time to time to meet folks from these various organizations and more information about uh, the the collaborative, we refer to it as PWEC, the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center. Uh, you can find more information about the collaborative starting next week at the Penobscot Cultural Department website. Uh, we will have a page that's devoted to um, PWEC, and the address for that site is uh, www.penobscothistory.com. And uh, we'll have a series of speakers uh, throughout the rest of this season, speakers who are related to the um, various partners in the, in the collaborative. Uh, and um, we hope to continue on. So next year, uh, we'll be starting right early at the beginning of the season and should have a full season of um, topics, discussions, exhibits, guests at the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center. Bill, any last comments? Any words of wisdom? Well, we <laughs> hope to see a lot of you people going through the exhibit, and I think you won't be disappointed when you see the practical things that are there that give an example of what this web of life is all about. And I'm sure that you've never seen such a map of a river as you're going to see on the walls. Thanks to James' creative work. Thank you, Maria. Thanks. Jim, you still there? Yes, I'm still Any here. final thoughts? Or, oh. um, yeah, just briefly, um, maybe, we, maybe I would recognize a couple of other quiet partners in this effort. One of them is, is the, the, all the species, not just our species, but all the species that live in the Penobscot watershed that are part of the web of life. That, that is what we're, why we're doing this. Um, I, I had a chance to go whale watching recently off Penobscot Bay, and it's an unbelievable experience to be up close to feeding. In this case, we saw finback whales. Um, and then, you know, I've spent, I've, I've lived in Maine my whole life, and I've spent a lot of time in the North Woods, and, and still every time I see a moose or a marten or um, any wildlife in the North Woods, it's a thrill. So that's, I, want, I want to recognize that. And then the last thought is that we're all connected, not only, we're all connected in time as well as in space. Mm -hmm. And um, it's important that, to me, that we're recognizing that people have lived here for, for thousands of years, and I hope we'll be living here for thousands of years more. And that's, to me, what this kind of outreach opportunity is about, to represent the web of life, both in time and in space. Thank you, Jim, uh, and thank you for recognizing all the species. We have a word in Penobscot that um, encompasses that. It's Nadal Nabemnawik, and it means all of our relations. 
And uh, I think, Veronica, you had another comment. Yes, I was actually <coughs> going to put in a little plug for um, our, our funding situation. If uh, there's anybody out there who would like to contribute to this cause, I'd like to tell you how you can do that. Um, uh, any money, any checks should be made out to PWEC, that's P-W-E-C, um, and our address uh, for our fiscal agent at the moment is Down East RC and D at USDA, P.O. Box 210, Cherryfield, 04622. This does not mean that our uh, center is part of the USDA. This is merely where our fiscal agent is housed to collect contributions. And we would very much appreciate any kind of help, no matter how small. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're getting close to the end of our hour. I would just like to say thank you very much to our guests who have joined us here today in the studio and on the phone, Veronica Young from the Penobscot East Resource Center, uh, Bill Booth, who is um, a citizen, a local citizen, an avid outdoorsman, and he represents himself uh, in this collaborative. I'd also like to thank Jim St. Pierre, the main director for Restore the North Main Woods, and James Francis, tribal historian for the Culture and Historic Preservation Department, for joining us today. Uh, we hope that everyone will come out to 160 Main Street, second floor, and visit the Penobscot Watershed Eco Center. This is our our learning and building year, and uh, we'd love to have your feedback and your comments on uh, what it is that we're hoping to achieve here. Um, by way of announcements, I have one quick announcement. Um, there is a, and Donna's not here, so this is a good time for me to say so, Donna M. Loring Lecture Series, sponsored by the University of New England Women's Writers Collection, the lecture is uh, this year will be held on the 12th of September at the St. Francis Room on the Biddeford campus from noon to 1 o'clock p.m. The speaker will be Isabel Knockwood, author of Out of the Depths. Her, her story about uh, horrors and abuse she suffered while living in the residential school uh, will be part of the topic. She's studying at the University of New Brunswick for a master's degree and uh, has a thesis on the Canadian Prime Minister's apology to the First Nation people for the abuse they suffered in these boarding schools. And um, this is um, an annual lecture series, um, Donna M. Loring Lecture Series at the University of New England, uh, sponsored by the Women Writers Collection. So um, also we'll be back next month. Uh, Donna should be joining us next month for the next Wabanaki Windows, September 21st, where we'll be talking about the Maine Indian land claims, an issue that spanned three decades. My name is Maria Gerard, filling in for host Donna Loring.
WERU-FM is not only your source for alternative national programs. This community radio station works very hard to bring you local public affairs programs such as Conversation.